Good morning, Collective Church. It's great to be with you again. Um, I love to be in your space, which I love, and see all of your faces, but this is one of the, the perks of the pandemic is that I get to come to you anyway and, um, and bring you a greeting. The other thing I'll say, uh, just because the world's been a little bit crazy lately, is that I am pre-recording this. Um, and it's always a little bit of a dangerous situation to, um, to preach into the future. So if something crazy has happened in the last handful of days between when I am sending you um, this message and uh, when you're hearing it, um, that's why I'm not commenting on whatever that thing is. Um, but I hope that you are all healthy and safe and well. Um, as you heard in the reading, I wanted to talk this morning about um, 1 Samuel. Um, I wanted to talk about the story of, of God calling Eli, um, partly just because it's, it's one that I've thought of a lot in the last year. Um, my earliest memories of this story when I was little um, is, is that the focus was on how Samuel needed to be prepared to heed the call of God. Like really the focus was on Samuel making sure that he said yes. Um, that's because I went to a Baptist church when we, whenever we did actually go to church when I was little, that's the one that we went to. And so um, that focus on like getting you walking down the aisle to say yes to vocational ministry was a really big priority. <laughs> and um, so that's the focus and the, the push that this story got when I was young. But as I receive the story now, it feels, it feels like it's about so much more than that. Um, it feels to me now more like a parable of listening. Um, so as we begin this new year, which I am one of those kind of people that does love the new year, um, some of us have the personalities that look at the fresh turn of the page with excitement and um, a little sense of extra energy um, I admit to being one of those people that, that certainly makes goals and thinks about what I want um, my next year to look like. Uh, I never pick goals that are like hustle culture goals, but um, I do love the focus that, that a new year brings me. And um, a lot of people I know this time of year feel that sort of possibility, that heightened sense of possibility for the, for the fresh start of a new year. Um, I want to admit too that some of us absolutely hate this time of year and sometimes when I scroll through Instagram I can totally see why because all those influencers are telling you all the things you have to do to be like a decent person um, or like you know an acceptable view or vision of what um, beauty looks like or all those creepy things about the worst versions of hustle culture and um, goals in that sense, if you're one of those people who just thinks this is like the worst time of year, all this goal setting and intention setting feels just like more of an invitation to shame, um, to think about the ways that you've tried to change and it hasn't worked out for you or um, to set yourself up for failure, right? Um, and I just want to say that I hear you on all of that. Um, and I want to be clear that there's nothing about hustle culture or our particular brand of sort of American earn your worthness that I ascribe to in any way. If you remember, I'm the original blessing girl. So that thing I believe more than anything is that you were born with innate goodness. You are beautiful and wonderful um, just the way that you are and you have everything that you need. 
Um, that doesn't mean that you don't need to change, but what it does mean is that your innate goodness can't be stolen and it can't be lost and it also can't be increased. So um, no goal you set for 2020 changes the amount of love that God has for you. So I just wanna be clear about that. But as I enter this particular January, the January that follows after the year 2020, um, here's what I know for sure. We would be fools not to listen. We would be fools not to listen. Um, here's what I mean by that. 2020, um, which I know we're just super sick of talking about, and I'm still going to keep talking about it, but I'm just saying, I also am sick of talking about this. Uh, it gave us a whole lot of things that we didn't want, and we would, if we could have, resolutely rejected, right? If we could have gotten out of any of these things that 2020 has brought us, there's just a whole bunch of things I would have said hard pass. And really, who could blame us, you know? Um, that's a completely valid view of how the world has been for us this year. Um, so the very best thing I think we can do to honor just the, the truth and the reality of the year that that was for us is to let it be exactly what it was and not to try to make it, um, to find some like hidden gem or, um, you know, put platitudes on top of it or wallow in it. Like, I don't think any of those things are helpful. I think the most helpful thing is just to sit with it in all its pain and frustration and perks and goodness, right? and just call it by its name. But also, what if we just listened to it? What if we got close to the ground of all that rubble and put our ear to the ground and just really listened to all the rumblings? Like, we can't fix the rubble. We can't prevent whatever rubble might come to us next. But what we can do, I think what we are called to do as people of faith, is to listen. So let's go back to Samuel. I want us to get a picture of how things are laid out here because sometimes when we're reading scripture it just kind of like passes through our minds and we don't get a visual of what's happening. So Eli's old. Um, he's losing, I think I said earlier the calling of Eli. Obviously I mean Samuel. Uh, I just caught that. Anyway, Eli is old. He's the priest. He's the resident priest. He's very old. He's losing his eyesight. And um, in this story, we see that his bedroom is like down the hallway. And Samuel, um, if you remember the sort of backstory, the origin story of Samuel, Samuel's mom was Hannah. And um, Hannah was heartbroken because she couldn't have a child. And of course, we know in that culture, that was really the primary form of worth that women had access to. Um, we could have a whole diatribe about how that contains truth today and how heartbreaking that is for the people who cannot have children or don't wanna have children. Anyway, we don't have time for that this morning. Um, but for Hannah, it was a very real sense of God's absence that she wasn't able to have children. Um, they did see it as something spiritual instead of something just physical, um, which we understand now. So Hannah went to the temple every day and she prayed. She prayed her little heart out and just said, God, I will do anything if you give me a child. Um, she did end up becoming pregnant. 
and to her luck, also culturally um, speaking, it was a son. So when Samuel was born, um, Hannah made a commitment to God and said, God, I will give you back this child. I'm so grateful uh, that I've, that I've been given this chance to be a mother and that that, that sort of, um, sense of honor has been restored to me. So I will give you back this child. And in that time, um, what you did was actually you, you allowed your child to be a temple servant. And so, um, Samuel went to live in the temple. Um, so here we are. Eli's old, um, his bedroom's down the hallway. Young Samuel is the temple servant, and he's um, sleeping actually in the temple, and he hears this voice call out, and he thinks that it's Eli. And so he runs down the hall, and he asks him, you know, yes. And Eli's like, I didn't call you, boy. Go back to bed. And so he goes back to bed. And then he's laying down in his bed, and he hears again this voice calling out to him. And so he runs down the hall and uh, he asks Eli, yes, what do you need? And Eli's like, uh, yeah, it wasn't me. Um, go back to bed. What is wrong with you? So he goes back to bed. Um, the third time it happens, when he goes to see Eli, Eli's now paying attention. Like, it's not just this one weird time. It's not just two weird times. Now Eli is like, what is happening here? And so since Eli is a pretty old, wise priest, he says, I think I know what's going on here. God is calling to you. You need to go back and lay down. And when you hear that voice again, you need to say, speak God for your servant is listening. Tell God you're listening. Go back, lay down, wait for it, and then tell God, yes, I'm listening. So, um, I don't know about you, but I've lost count of how many times God has called out to me and I've run to someone or something else thinking that they had called out to me. Um, that's just a particularly human thing to do, isn't it? Um, just to get it wrong about where God's voice is coming from. And there's some wisdom in that for us, right? Like when you hear something, consider that it might be from God. Uh, just to round out our approach, it's probably also wise to say, realize just as seriously that it might not be God when we think that it is. And if we do both of those things, we're probably approaching that voice just about right. Um, so I don't know if my it's my pandemic addled brain or what, but this week when I was spending time with this story, what really got my attention was the movement. All that running back and forth down the hallway is what I really noticed. And I know that this is a story that dates back to like the sixth century BC, but to my modern self, as I'm reading this, how I am feeling about it is that um, it feels like a very pre-pandemic picture of daily life. Um, we're triggered by noises and voices and phone beeps and sounds and bells in the hallways of school, right? And we're just running around in response to these sounds and noises. And um, sometimes we're running around aimlessly and sometimes we're running around trying to find the source of the sound. Um, but it, in whatever case that is, what we really need is to sit down and listen. And the truth is, Samuel would have figured out where the voice was coming from if he'd, have, if he'd just stayed still and listened, right? I mean, it's kind of precious that like his 
his deep willingness to like be present to Eli is the reason why he does, I think, all this running back and forth. Um, but in the process of trying to be present to Eli, he actually isn't present to what's going on in himself. And he's not present to God, which also has something I think to teach us that's important. Um, I know so many of us are just sick of people telling us to receive the gifts of this pandemic season. We've already briefly talked about that. And the very last thing I'd want you to hear is that I'm casting the pandemic as some great equalizer that's, you know, given us to God, um, by God to slow us down because we just, you know, we humans have gotten out of control and we had gotten too fast and, you know, like we're in a timeout. Um, I don't see it that way. I really do understand um, what the stillness has cost us. I do. Um, in May, my grandmother passed away. She was 95. It wasn't COVID. Um, she actually just died peacefully in her sleep, which is literally the, the best thing I could have asked for. Um, but prior to her passing, um, she has, has lived in Dallas for... Um, gosh, almost seven years, I guess now. And just about every single Tuesday of those seven years, I have spent my day with her. And since March happened, um, between March and May, I wasn't with her on Tuesdays. And it felt like just this massive hole in the busyness of my life. And I mean, actually it's busyness to sit with her. So it was stillness, but, um, but that rhythm was broken up by, by the pandemic. And, um, when she passed, I was not able to see her or touch her body. Um, we weren't able to gather our big Lebanese family to say goodbye to our matriarch. Um, it felt heartbreaking. And I know that that's maybe one of the most benevolent stories of loss that we've had during this pandemic. Um, all these things would have been gifts that we would have cherished with all our hearts and COVID has taken them from us. Like, I will never get the chance to say goodbye to her physical body. That's, that's gone. Um, nothing will make that better, right? Um, I will, we may gather at a, at a later time, but it won't be the same feeling uh, and the same sense of healing that we would have gotten if we had done it days after she had passed. This pandemic has robbed us of so many things that are holy. And I just, I honestly can't even talk about Samuel or listening or this parable of like, being still without just saying that out loud because it has taken so much from us. It's taken so many people from us. It's left people isolated and alone and jobless and these things don't come from God, right? Um, they just come. <laughs> they just come because we're humans living human lives and these are all parts of it and we happen to be humans living in the midst of a pandemic that happens every couple hundred years. So labeling any of this stuff as a gift is the last thing that I want you to hear me say. Uh, I enter into this as thoughtfully as I possibly can, um, just holding the grief of like she would, you know, my grandmother is one of my favorite people in the entire world. And um, that is where I hold space and empathy for all, all the loss that we have all collectively experienced. What I will tell you is this. I had nowhere to go in my grief, but in it. I think if it had been um, any other time, 
I would have tried to fill my days or get distracted with work or throw myself into a project. I would have. Um, and out of, out of, you know, just coping skills. And I think God would have been totally fine with that. But something happens when the movement stops. Um, I don't want to put any morality on it. Like everything else in the universe, this pandemic has brought good and evil. Both. Both. It's brought just horrible heartbreak and actually some really beautiful things. And all that stuff is always mixed in together, right? This goes back to original blessing. Like good and evil are just a package deal all the way through. They just are. And we have to be aware of them both at all times. Um, the stillness for now, the, the, the space between things that we have right now, there's no morality in it. I mean, there's, or there's both. Like we could say there's no morality. Don't put judgment on it. Or you can judge it both ways. But regardless, either way you tend to look at it, it just is. The stillness right now for us, it just is. So since it is, we would be foolish not to listen to it. Because here's one thing that we do know is true. When we're running up and down the halls of our lives, we do miss things. We do. We give up clarity in service to speed. And when something slows us down, whether we like it or not, usually we don't. <laughs> I don't like to be slowed down. But when something does slow us down, clarity can be found there. And the clarity that Samuel found was God, which, nice. Um, verse 7 says that Samuel didn't yet know the Lord because the Lord's word hadn't been revealed to him yet. Um, it's very on brand for God to wait until things get quiet to tell us the important things. It's not out of the realm of God to yell, too. I can tell you that from personal experience. But we also remember that when Elijah was waiting for God to be revealed, God was found not in the thunder or the movement of the lightning, but in the still small voice. Samuel would have gotten the answer he had sought if he had chosen stillness over reaction. Now, listen, you don't always get a gold nugget of truth wrapped in a little Bible story like that. But that one, that's a nugget. That's a nugget we can just take straight away, straight away. When you are looking for an answer, search for your answer in stillness and not in reaction. Like you can take that thing home to the bank right now. Just put that, put that straight in your pocket. That's the close to like a moral thing that you're going to get from a, from a Bible story. Because do you know where our reactions come from? I mean, biology mostly, but after that, our reactions are coming from our egos. Our egos help us stay safe and keep things the same, which is really great for a lot of things, but absolutely terrible and not great when you are being called into something new. And when you're trying to react to that call in a way that is gonna make you faithful. Reaction, reactions usually keep us in the place of fear, of certainty of consistency, right? And um, that's just not gonna get us where we need to go. Usually when we're reacting and when we're coming from a place of trying to contain or control something, we're thinking about external rewards or finding approval. 
Um, all of these things are going to keep us from really hearing what it is God is calling us to do in courage. Like every time we're called to something new, it requires courage. It requires courage to leave an old habit behind. Even if our old habit wasn't all that bad, you know, I think we have this, I do at least have this assumption in my head that when God is calling you to something new, it has to be that like you're leaving an actual trash heap behind you. That's sometimes true, but also sometimes it's just, there's something more, you know, this was fine. This was, this worked fine for the time, but now there's something more. And if we react always just back to what we know and get ourselves lost in the busyness of that thing so that we don't have to do the new thing, then we are lacking courage to step into whatever new thing God might be trying to do for us. So when the voice of something new is calling out to you, sit down, listen. And what you'll discover is that the new voice is really the oldest voice that there is, it's God. It's coming from your soul. Um, it's telling you the most important thing that you need to know right now, right in this moment for where you are at this juncture in your life. Long after this pandemic is over, I hope that's what we remember. I hope we remember what it feels like to get lost in the movement of our lives and um, to lose our clarity because of it. I hope that is one thing we know now that we didn't know before because the stillness required us to learn it and to recognize it. There's no choice that we have now but to recognize how the busyness can often distract our sense of clarity and understanding. Not all movement is bad, but the kind that we so often find ourselves doing um, is like, you know, human ping pong. It's like, it's just movement for movement's sake. It's just Samuel running back and forth to Eli, not getting the answers and not getting any sense of understanding, right? It's not going anywhere. That kind of movement is just distraction and noise and it's reaction and it's ego. It's just keeping us where we are and it's super unhelpful. It's as simple as this. We just, we come to know things when we're still that we can't possibly know when we're in motion. The deep things come to us when we're still. The deep things come in stillness. That's when God speaks and meets us, right? God meets us there in the stillness. This is the entire point of contemplative prayer. If you've ever done contemplative prayer or heard about it, this is the whole reason why that's been a thing for so many thousands of years, right? It's a time to simply get quiet and stop moving and be with God without words, without intentions, without prayer requests or a whole laundry list of things that you're upset about. Um, you just get quiet and you be with God and you just let everything else go. And in that communal sense of being in the presence with God and letting God be in the presence of you. That togetherness in the stillness is what creates deep faith. It's what allows us to have clear discernment about what we do need to do next when that time is over, right? Which brings me to the second thing that I want to say about this story of Samuel. Eli sleeps down the hall in his bedroom, right? But notice where Samuel was sleeping this whole time. He slept in the temple. 
And I just want to be clear that we realize that in this story, the temple is like the temple, the temple. It is not like the tiny little corner church where there's 1900 of them. Like this was the temple, the one, the one where God was said to dwell. Samuel slept underneath a lamp that was like the embodiment of God's presence literally like it wasn't just like in church when we light candles and say this reminds us that God is with us which is also super true but like in this time it was like that light was the actual thing that's telling you that and he slept next to the ark of the covenant which you know just the just imagining like what was in the ark and the massive golden angel statues that were but on both sides like hovering together over the ark Everything around Samuel was designed in such a way to communicate God's presence. Like he was sleeping in the temple because he was a temple servant. And he still didn't recognize that God was calling him. And that makes me feel relieved, honestly, because it seems like that should be obvious to him. And I really appreciate that he was that oblivious because I'm sure we have had moments, all of us, where we can say, same, <laughs> um, same. It's that scripture of like, God was in this place and I did not know it. But I don't want to miss this picture for us because it speaks of deeper things. God is dwelling with Samuel all around him, literally this whole time, the whole time. And I know there's that verse of like, it says that God's word had not yet been revealed to him, but God's presence had been there with Samuel this whole time. So now when we're living in a time that, that we understand that God lives far beyond temple walls and church walls, certainly we've realized that God has left the building and it's, we're okay, right? We can do church without the building, even though, gosh, I can't wait to get back. We know in our minds that God is always with us. We know that. We, If you grew up in church or even if you've been coming to collective church for just a little while, you've heard that, that God is with you wherever you go, right? But we seem to forget this when we're running up and down life's hallways. We forget or we don't stop to notice it or we don't rest in it enough to let it change us. So at some point in the coming months, much of the daily noise of our lives will be returned to us. And I honestly can't wait for a louder world. I am an extrovert, people. I can't wait to have a louder day. We will again have access to each other. We'll be able to hug each other. Um, but also, we know that, that what will come with that is all the noise that will invariably go along with all those good things. All that good loudness is also going to be accompanied by some unwelcome noise. And we would be foolish not to allow this time right now, this time we've had to help shape how we re-enter that noise. Imagine the beauty of a day that's filled with hugs, human contact, seeing people's faces, shared meals, and also the space in our day to be still and to be with God and to have clarity about what we need and where we need to go.
what we need to do, what should and shouldn't be said. For our own souls, the work that we do in this quiet listening is absolutely vital. It's vital, but it isn't just for us. It's also in the service to the world that we continue to find spaces to be quiet because as you know, we are facing a lot of difficulties as a nation right now, and we do not need more people who react to the noise. We do not need reactors. We need no more reactors. We have plenty of that. We need people who are grounded by the silence. We won't be able to see clearly or process what's happening or understand what's true if we can't proceed without all that reactivity. Like if we want to step faithfully one foot in front of the other, we have to let all that reactivity and flaring emotions die down and give way to God's still and quiet voice. I don't know what's going to happen if we don't do that collectively, no pun intended. Um, as you know, you probably know, if you don't, I'll tell you, this story obviously ha happens very early in Samuel's life. He's a young boy. He was given to the temple as a servant when he was very young and he stayed there until it was his time to be the priest and take over. And in the years to come, after God has called him in the middle of the night like this, and Samuel does finally figure out how to say, speak for your servant is listening, Samuel does become a priest and he becomes a judge and a prophet and a sage. And he is tasked with king making and king breaking. I mean, he is putting people in power and taking them out. That is his job. It's a big deal what Samuel ends up doing. He becomes a voice for justice and peace. And I truly believe he does all of these things and becomes all of these things because of what began this night that we're reading about this morning. What began to grow in him, the night that he realized that what he needed most to do was to be still, to stop moving, and to listen. To listen when the quiet voice of God came to him in stillness. He stayed with that voice and with that stillness, and he let that lead him. And then he led others by that same clarity and wisdom and centeredness and strength. That is where he found his rightly placed courage. The new year always offers every day, actually, every new day, we don't have to limit it to January, offers us an opportunity to step with courage into something new. We don't have to shame the old. We don't have to hit rock bottom to decide to do something new. We can just let the new life of God come to us. We can just let, we can just receive it. And what we need to do first is to be still and listen. Stop running up and down the halls of our lives and, and just sit there. And then we take those moments to realize that we are sitting actually this whole time in the presence of God. Wherever we are, 
God has already been in it. And spoiler alert, God will still be in it long after we're gone. We can let that presence be a comfort to us when everything else feels so unsure or um, up in the air, precarious. I think precarious is a really good word for things right now. We can let the stillness be our grounding guidance. Let it cultivate us, um, let it cultivate in us a sense of service to the greater good that we're called to do in this world. We have to let our courage in these small things and in big things be put to good use for the movements that are truly transformational. Those ones that really change human, the, the direction of human life, those always stem from this place of stillness and they always are grounded in that sense of God's steadfast love. That's where that transformation comes from. Um, Martin Luther King Day is a day that we remember. We have strength to love. You know, we have to stand in that sense of just solid clarity about who we are and what we are willing to do and not willing to do and what we are here to stand for. Um, that comes from stillness. That come that courage to be comes from our ability to stop moving enough to allow God to say the most important thing to us at that moment. So yes, we didn't want all this silence. The introverts are like, I did. <laughs> um, most of us didn't want this level, this endless month after month experience of slow motion. But we would be fools not to listen. We got it. That's what, that's what we have. That's, this is the world that we live in right now. It just is. And because it is, we would be fools not to listen. I hope that in the coming days, you remain open to telling God that you are willing to listen. And I pray that we would allow the silence to make us truly wise. Um, I wanted to end with a prayer for courage that I read in Padraig Otwama's book, um, Daily Prayer. It's a really beautiful book. I meant to grab it so you could actually see it, um, and I forgot. But if I could, I would love to pray um, with you all to close. We bear witness to our faith, O oh God, knowing that we are called to live lives of courage, love, and reconciliation in the ordinary and extraordinary moments of each day. We bear witness too to our failures and our complicity in the fractures of our world. May we be courageous today. May we learn today. And may we love today. Amen.